Hey everyone, my name is Josh Proctor and this is the Life on Side B podcast. On this podcast, we are going to discuss, as the name pretty much clearly states, what life as Side B LGBT Christians is really like. For those of you who don't know, Side B is a term used to refer to Christians who are LGBT, attracted to the same sex, or have gender dysphoria, yet hold a traditional view of sexuality and marriage, and therefore live according to that view. Every episode, I will be talking with different Side B Christians about different aspects of their life, faith, and experiences. My goal with this podcast is to show that being Side B is not this depressing life of self-hatred and loneliness, but rather, it can be pretty dang beautiful and amazing. Now, every season, we will be focusing on a different theme of sexuality and faith issues related to the lives of Side B Christians. This season, though, I am really excited because we are going to be looking at different ways Side B Christians live out their sexuality and find intimacy and community. I hope that through this season, you will be able to see that there are so many different ways that Side B Christians can live with joy within their faith. Today, we are going to talk to Melinda Malone on the intentional community that she lives in in San Francisco and really get her perspective on what it's like to be an intentional community as a Side B person. Now again, like last time, we talked over Zoom, so the quality may not be perfect, but I really hope that you enjoy it. So with that, let's head into the episode. Okay. Well, hello, everyone. We are back again with the second episode of Life on Side B. And it is a huge accomplishment. We've gotten to the second episode and we haven't made fools of ourselves, though some of you probably <laughs> may disagree with me on that one. <laughs> but I am here joined by my great friend, Melinda, and her Melinda Malone. And that is the correct, I am pronouncing it correctly, right, Melinda? Yes, Melinda okay. Malone, pronouns okay. she, hers. Perfect. So I know Melinda because we have actually had the awesome opportunity of being on a panel in a workshop together at Uh the QCF conference back uh, just this January. I feel like I've known you for a lot longer than that, but I guess through the side, (laughs) I guess, you know, through the Facebook group. (laughs) But that was the first time. Were you at Revoice? I was at Revoice, but did we meet there? I think we met briefly. Briefly, possibly. Anyway, I am so glad that you're on here. And for those of you who do not know Melinda, Melinda Malone is a member of the Church of the Sojourners, an intentional Christian community in San Francisco, California. She has spoken at gay Christian conferences such as uh, the Q Christian Fellowship, Revoice, and E3, and presented workshops at children ministry conferences such as Faith Forward and Weaving Our Gifts on how to make churches more welcoming for LGBT youth and families. She also serves as the QCF Side B Advisory uh, on the side QCF Side B Advisory. See, I can't even read. Um, she's <laughs> the mom of a grown son and works at a Montessori, as a Montessori educator and administrator. Well, first of all, you do so many things that I'm just so jealous of. Um, <laughs> and I love it. So I guess to start off, the question that I would like to ask is, what is Side B to you, if that makes any sense? Right, sure. Side B to me is the conviction by gay and bi Christians that we are called the celibacy because uh, genital sexual expression is reserved by God for uh, monogamous heterosexual marriage. Mm -hmm. Now, have you always held to side B theology or did you, can you share a little bit of maybe your your story or, or where you've gotten to where you're at? I've always held, well, I haven't always held a sub because I didn't know it existed. But <laughs> <laughs> if anybody asked me, 
you know, I'm old enough that gay marriage was not a thing when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So it was assumed that, well, gay wasn't hardly a thing when I was growing up. The first gay person I ever heard about was Elton John. And I knew I wasn't like that. So to <laughs> me. <laughs> yes. So I didn't figure out that I was gay until I was 34. And that was in 1996. And at that point in history, gay marriage still wasn't really a very common thing. It wasn't an option. So to be gay and out meant that you were sexually active. Mm -hmm. Most of the gay people I knew who were celibate were still in the closet or, you know, I only knew they were gay because they told one or two people, including me. Yeah. So I was raised Catholic. And then after I was Catholic, I was a member of various evangelical churches. So the assumption was always that gay people would not have the option of marriage so that, and I always knew that sex outside of marriage was wrong. So coming up before these distinctions were being made, uh, makes it a little bit different from being always side B because the idea that marriage is an option, but we're deciding not to take that option is a fairly new phenomenon. Yes. So I grew up Catholic and then after uh, a number of years as an adult where I had, you know, been attending or working for uh, non-Catholic churches. Um, I finally left the Catholic church and the churches I went to were all what we would call side B churches at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in my life, side B became a thing sort of fairly late in my life. It wasn't like I grew up knowing, okay, there are these options, side B or side yeah. A. Yeah. It was a different kind of path. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I I think that that's not just for even for your time. Like, even Mm -hmm. me, I mean, I knew that there was never, like, necessarily this understanding of, like, hey, there's these these different options of how to live, you know, Mm -hmm. and of being able to understand that in that way. So, and and honestly, for me, that's even just been in the last few years. Um, Mm -hmm. So I totally understand. Yeah, I think the landscape is really changing a lot. Um, The deciding what your choices are, what your options are, looks very different now than it did even 15 years ago. So Mm -hmm. I think people's decisions are in some ways clearer and in some ways more complicated. Yeah, absolutely. And, And then I came to celibacy after having been in a mixed orientation marriage for 25 years. Mm. So that's a somewhat different type of decision as well. Yes. So when I figured out I was gay, I was already married. I'd already been married for 10 years. And how was that like for you? Like realizing that you're gay with while in a heterosexual marriage? Well, because I was Catholic, it wasn't an, and because I wasn't, I didn't fall in love with anybody. You know, it wasn't like I was Mm going to leave my husband. Yeah. So it was, I mean, what was it like? It was, it was like being in a marriage with a person you're not really sexually attracted to. And uh, I told my husband when I figured it out, and it, I told him it wasn't going to change anything, and it didn't mm-hmm. for another, you know, 15 years. And then we got divorced not because of me, but because he decided that once our son was grown, he wanted to have, you know, sort of a new life of his own. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So now yeah. how did you go from, you know, being married, then you got divorced and how did you then find the community that you're in now? And can, mm-hmm. I guess, can you explain a little bit of how you, how you found it? And then also, mm-hmm. can you explain a little bit of what your community is? Like, how would you define sure. it? Sure. Sure. Church of the Sojourners is a very unique little community. I actually knew the people who started it more than 30 years ago. It was founded by a group of, uh, there were two Baptist missionary families who were doing outreach to Salvadoran refugees in San Francisco. And they, and a group of students who were graduating from university at UC Santa Cruz, decided Mm -hmm. to all move in together and start this community. So I knew, I had gone to, I went to college with the women from Santa Cruz who moved in with the (laughs) missionaries in San Francisco. And so I knew the community from, its inception. And then as I lived in the Bay area a few years later, 
And while my husband and I were there, I went and volunteered. The community had, at that point, was doing a summer, summer school program for neighborhood kids, liter basic literacy and bilingual education. And so the community was doing this as an outreach. And I came and volunteered in their program one summer. So I was over <laughs> in the house that I'm living in now, <laughs> tutoring kids in their neighborhood and hanging out with these folks. And so there are pictures of me from 30 years ago in this community, which is really kind of That's funny. So because crazy. then my life took a very different turn. And my husband and I moved out to Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And we ended up staying there for 25 years. When I got divorced, I came out more publicly as gay, and I started getting involved in what was then called GCN, the Gay Christian Network. Yes. And GCN had a local Baltimore, Washington area Bible study. And so I was going to the Bible study, and we were reading different books about gay Christians. And I picked up a book by a guy named Tim Otto called Oriented to Faith. Mm. And I started reading it, and I was like, hey, wait a minute, this guy lives with people I know. <laughs> Tim Otto is in the Church of the Sojourners. Oh, that's awesome. And so I started reading the book and I was like, oh, I remember those guys. Hey, I could go there now. Mm -hmm. So it was because of my gay Christian Bible study that I was pointed back to this community that I'd known about all along. But while I was married, it was never an option for me. Mm -hmm. Not because they don't take married people, but because my ex-husband wasn't interested. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at the same time, the same year that I read Tim's book, my son was graduating from college and he was going to college in Baltimore. And I had told him that after the divorce that we got divorced his senior year in high school, I told him that I would stick around in Maryland until he was done with college. Mm -hmm. So I just happened to read Tim's book at the same time I happened to be getting ready to move out of Maryland. Huh. But you hadn't, but you hadn't planned, like before reading that book, had you planned where you were going to go necessarily? No. No, wow. actually, I was applying to a lot of jobs. I interviewed for a teaching job in Rwanda. I interviewed for a teaching job in Belize. Wow. I interviewed. I, I could have gone anywhere. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about joining the Peace Corps. I was thinking about a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And what God was thinking about, apparently, was Sojourners. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Sojourners started in one house in San Francisco. And then during the tech boom of the 90s, we had a couple of techies in the community and we ended up, you know, having some assets and buying three more houses. Mm -hmm. So our community now owns four houses in San Francisco within a few blocks of each other. Okay. And all of the full members, all the, what we call the covenant members of the community live in one of those four houses. Okay. Along with their families. Mm -hmm. And then we also rent out rooms in those houses because we don't fill up all four houses right now. We rent out rooms in those houses to friends, family, people who are, you know, working for YWAM, people who are working for other organizations that we know of in the community. Yes. Mm -hmm. And in addition to living together, we get together to pray and worship on a very regular basis. Each house has morning prayers daily. Each house, each house individually. Yeah. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. So each household has, so like our morning prayers are 615, the Florida street house is okay. 630. Uh, okay. I think the 22nd street varies. Like sometimes they have their morning prayers at nine in the morning because they get up late, but, you know, so. <laughs> but I like that just, house. I'm an, I'm, I'm a late morning person. So <laughs> that would be my house. It, it's um, kind of funny. It sounds like this is, mm -hmm. I'm so, so sorry to break up, but this is, no, this is me and my brain. Um, I'm just literally thinking of it almost like a Harry Potter thing where you have the four houses and like, which house do you belong to? <laughs> which house did the sorting hat put me in? <laughs> yes. Anyway, continue. Yeah. <laughs> it's not quite that stable, actually, because no. <laughs> every year we have a move day and mm -hmm. we shuffle around between the houses depending okay. on the needs of the community. Okay. So, for example, I first my first year I was in Florida Street House um, and now I'm in Petrero Street House. So, mm. Petrero House. Yeah. And then 22nd Street. There are actually two houses on Florida. One's called the Florida House and the other one's called the Monastery because when we first bought that house, it was all single guys. Oh, okay. Makes sense. So in my house, so we meet together for prayer in the morning. We meet together for dinner three times a week as a household and then twice a week as a whole church. So Friday evenings, we have dinner and Bible study together as a whole church. And Sunday afternoons, we have dinner and gathered worship at, you know, 4.35 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. 
And then most Tuesday nights, we also have community meetings that we call discernment meetings. Okay. And one Saturday a month, we have community work days where we do, you know, yard work and work on the houses and do various things around the neighborhood. And let me see if that's all the meetings. And then various miscellaneous meetings yeah. as well. Yeah. So we live together. We share our lives. We have what we call a limited common purse. That is, we all get our own paychecks and have our own bank accounts, but mm -hmm. anything, we all live at the same economic level. So basically my paycheck comes in, I pay my food and my rent to the mm -hmm. community because okay. we do all our grocery shopping together. Okay. And then I pay my other expenses like car expenses, health insurance, things like that. And then anything left over above a certain amount, I give back to the church. So no matter how much we make, we all have the same amount of spending money. Mm. So we keep a common economic level. Okay. Um, so that gives us a lot of money to give away. Yeah. Um, not all that much because most of us work part time uh, deliberately mm. because our life is so time consuming. Yeah. That, you know, we want to have a lot of present time for, for our structured stuff and also just to be in each other's lives. Yeah. It the makes biggest, sense. yeah, the biggest value for us is loving one another well so that we can mm -hmm. then love the community. Well, and love takes time. Absolutely. So we tend to emphasize that we don't want people in full time, you know, high tech or hardcore jobs. For example, I'm a teacher, but I deliberately took a part time teaching slash administrative job rather than a full-time classroom job so that I would have time for the community. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is really interesting. It, you know, it's interesting, especially after last episode uh, mm -hmm. with Meg, we, we talked to her about her situation and she even said in the episode that her situation is intentional, but it's, it's not where they have meetings, you know, everyone mm -hmm. does their own food, everyone, you know, but they'll come mm -hmm. together and do things together. So mm -hmm. it's very interesting how your guys' community is much more structured. I know you said it's not as structured mm -hmm. as Harry Potter, but it is more structured <laughs> than other communal living yes. situations. Yeah. And so that is, uh, that's really interesting. What would you say, where do you think the Bible has influenced this, the, mm -hmm. the development of this kind of living situation? For you guys. Sure. Our touchstones pretty much are the Sermon on the Mount, mm -hmm. which we consider a collective. Blessed are you who mourn in community, for you will mm -hmm. be comforted in community. It's not directed at individuals per se, yes. but at the people of God. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus's people need to be together in each other's lives deeply in order to mourn with each other and comfort one another that when the, there are poor among us, they need to inherit something. And that means they have somebody to inherit from. So the poor and the rich need to live together in order to share. So that's one touchstone. Another one is the second chapter of the book of Acts, where they all lived and had things in common. Yes. And how many problems that caused. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Who's, who's widows are getting fed first? Who's, mm -hmm. What if we sell a piece of land? Who owns the cars? You know, mm -hmm. all of those issues are, should be, you know, live issues in a community. And that's where, in a sense, the rubber hits the road for Christian life together is when it's, when it's that deep and that costly that you get on each other's nerves all the time and that you have to work through conflicts and things like that. And then the third one is, really the one another passages. Mm -hmm. The New Testament epistles are full of, well, and the book of John are full of love one another type things. And in order to do that, you need to spend a lot of time together. Yeah. So the essence, the, the ethic of that we're going for has been influenced by the Bible in those ways. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I love what you talked about the conflicts in acts mm -hmm. because I think that's something that we never really pay attention to when we read Acts. Like it used to always frustrate me when churches would look at the Acts and not that it's not an example, but saying like, look, it's the perfect community. Look how they <laughs> lived. But then when you really read Acts, like they had so many problems and that doesn't negate how they lived, right. but it, it just shows the reality. Right. Like that's what it's like to live in community. 
Yeah. I mean, Jesus wouldn't have had to say you have to forgive your brother 70 times seven if you weren't living with somebody who got on your nerves 70 times seven times. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. And so with that kind of what, in that realm of looking at that, what would you say have been the biggest challenges for you within the community, living in the community? Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, the biggest challenges have been probably personality conflicts. Mm. You move into a group of people that I had met, but didn't really know. But, so none of the people who started the church except for one older lady, what the wife of one of the original missionaries was actually still in the church when I came in. So it wasn't like I was moving back to hang out with my college friends. These were people who had moved into the community over the last 30 years. And so I was basically moving in with a bunch of strangers and I moved in with two other new people. We have a program called the apprenticeship program where you just come and try it out for a year. Oh, that's interesting. And so I was an apprentice along with two much younger people. In fact, their ages added together were still less than mine. (laughs) Uh, So, and among the three of us, there were some conflicts. Uh, We were new to community. We were in a new situation. We were, and we were very, very different people. We still are very, very different people. All three of us are still in the community. And the sort of the personality conflicts and learning, learning how, that's handled in the community. For example, the, one of the other apprentices had a habit in meetings of, uh, I'm going to make up something fake. I'm not going to say what this person really did. That's fine. Uh, so let's say this person had a habit of clicking their pen constantly. Mm-hmm. I'm the kind of person who would just say to their face, will you knock it off? Yeah. Well, a better way to do that would be to wait until after the meeting and gently take that person aside and say, Hey, you know, sometimes it annoys me when people click their pens during meetings. So I'd appreciate it if you could like stop in the future. Yeah. So I had to go from being the first kind of person to the second kind of person. (laughs) (laughs) I totally understand. Yeah. (laughs) And so for me, stepping on other people's toes um, was, uh, one of the hardest things because I gave, I grew up in a big Italian family where we all stepped on each other. So all the time and yelled and screamed and, and realizing that everybody isn't that direct about conflict and that everybody doesn't appreciate being corrected in front of other people or mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That was one of the biggest things that I had to learn coming into this particular community because this is a very gentle community. Yeah. And of course, after I had said that in the meeting to this other person, one of the leaders, you know, gently took me aside and said, you know, in the future, you might want to take this person aside, not in front of them. So, exactly. Uh, so I'm just learning a lot about how to love other people gently, even through conflicts, even through mistakes, even through that kind of thing. And so yeah. it's, yeah, that's probably been one of the hardest things. Oddly enough, the other hardest thing for me is that in our schedule, there we take breaks because mm-hmm. we have to visit our biological families sometime, right? Oh, yeah. So, for example, over Christmas, we take a break where our church doesn't meet. Most people are traveling. Um, mm-hmm. But I, my biological family lives fairly near here, and we're not particularly close. So I found that over the last few years, there have been times when I was the only one in the house because everyone else was traveling. Mm. And getting used to that, because one of the reasons I moved here was not to be the only person in the house. Exactly. (laughs) So realizing that other people, you know, balancing my needs with other people's needs and wishing that they would stay around or getting to know the people who do stay around rather than, you know, the people I, because in a, in a group of 20 people, there'll be people you get along with better and people you get along with less well. You don't just mix, you know, you just don't hit it off as well. And so if all the people I really wish to hang around with are off traveling, then I get to know the people that are staying instead, who I might, might not be people that I would naturally hang around with, but I get to know them better. Mm. So, but, you know, sometimes it can, even in community, you can be lonely. Oh, yeah. And so that, that part has been a challenge for me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a major point that you hit on there, which is that you can be lo- just as lonely in community as you can literally all being all by yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a matter of physical proximity, 
but emotional uh-huh. connectedness. Uh-huh. And, and that makes all the difference in the world. And yeah, it's listening over these past two episodes. It's been very interesting because I really think even what I've learned from my living situations is just like you said, that personality conflict, like when people's personalities that just rub you the wrong way (laughs) Uh and it's just so different and you realize parts of yourself that you never even knew were there when interacting with other people. Right. Also along with that, so those are kind of like the biggest challenges you've had. What would you say are the biggest benefits that have come into your life from living in oh. like an intentional community? Oh, the love. Mm-hmm. The, the way this group loves one another is a, sort of our motto. One of the early influential pastors of this group was a guy named John Alexander. And his, the quote that's hanging in all of our kitchens is, Love one another and keep doing the dishes. And part of that is because none of our houses have dishwashers because they're old houses. (laughs) So we literally do the dishes. So we, uh, Mm -hmm. but just the idea that people will be there for you, sharing life with you in and out, whether or not they like you, whether or not you just stepped on their toes. Yes. They will still show up for you. Absolutely. And that, that kind of commitment is pretty rare in our society outside yes. of marriage. Mm-hmm. The idea, because this is the type of this, our type of community is for long-term commitment. Mm-hmm. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to drop in and drop out like a Catholic worker house, for example, where people yeah. co- it's communal, but people come in and out or even, you know, college where, yeah, we'll live together for a couple of years, but we assume we're moving on pretty soon. The people in this community are, committed for the long term Mm -hmm. and that kind of commitment is a real support i know that just because i'm having a bad day i don't have to be on my best behavior all the time just because i'm having a bad day doesn't mean i'm going to get kicked out it doesn't mean they're not going to they're going to stop talking to me it doesn't mean you know um they ask if i need anything when i'm sick they Offer to do the laundry if um, they know I'm running behind, you know, things like that. And, and vice versa. We, I live in a house that has um, a mom and dad and their two kids and one other single person on, in our apartment and then um, a number of other single people downstairs. And so we eat dinner together several times a week and we do the dishes together several times a week. And anybody in the house is aware of what's going on in everybody else's lives because you can't help it. So if one of their kids is can't sleep one night and so they're up till whatever, then we understand why they wouldn't get up at 6.15 for morning prayers. And okay. that's fine. You know, so cutting each other slack because we know each other's lives mm-hmm. is a kind of love that you don't get, no matter how good your church friends are, if you only see them once or twice a week. And so that kind of family love, that kind of being there for one another, um, for people who are single, is really rare. And I am mm-hmm. very fortunate that I found this little oasis of it. Yeah, yeah. I do have to. I do have to say when I uh, when I sat in on your workshop at the Q Christian Conference, mm-hmm. um, I loved it first of all, and I was very fascinated by your guys's concept of the intentional community being very linked to the church like mm-hmm. it almost seemed and correct me if i'm wrong like the two are are in a sense the same thing but also separate mm-hmm. because it they were they both founded together was the intentional community and the church founded together or were they founded it's separately? the same thing it's the it's same not thing two different. everybody in That's the intentional a, community is in the, church, is in the church and everybody in the church is in the intentional community. Now we have a few people, there are different levels of membership in okay. our community. So the people who have been here the longest and have made the deepest commitment are called the covenant members. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there are eight of those right now. Okay. And then there are people on their way to covenant membership who are like apprentices or practicing members or novices. I'm a novice right now. Okay. I won't become a covenant member until June. Okay. Because it takes at least three years. All right. Wow. And 
the so there's novices and apprentices people on their way to covenant membership and then there are people who won't be covenant members because of various situations or limitations in their lives but they're what we call guest members okay and some of them live in our housing and some of them don't mm-hmm. um so they're part of the community in a sense but they there's like there's one guy who lives with his mom because she's elderly and sick and needs him to take he would be a covenant yeah. member if he could move back in he used to live mm-hmm. in housing but when his mom got sick he moved out yeah to, he moved back in with his mom and as long as she's around then i mean he, in the long run she's going to pass on at some point and then he will probably move back in with us mm-hmm. but right now he's not a covenant member but he's still part of our community in that sense he's one of our he's in one of our small groups he's he's there every sunday he's on one of our worship teams you know yeah. so and then there are people, we have a number of people with intellectual disabilities um, in our community who live in sheltered living situations, but they come to us for Sundays and holidays and retreats, and they're very much part of our community, but they don't live with us because we can't give them the kind of support they need. Well, and, and yeah, and I'm, I'm just so fascinated by that concept of that the intentional community and the church are the same thing. Um, you know, coming from a very Southern Baptist um, background, mm-hmm. as I did, when you're in the evangelical com- background and from a Southern Baptist background, there's a very big idea that the entire, like, the purpose of the church, and not, I'm not, I'm not criticizing this. You know, I think it's mm-hmm. fine, but that the main purpose of the church is to get as many people into it as possible because the goal is to save. Mm-hmm. Some- so you just want to fill that building mm-hmm. up with people and that's fine. But I think then it, it for people who come from that background, mm-hmm. it breaks that model of understanding to say the purpose of the church is also this community, this, this deep centered community that if we look at the original church, the first mm-hmm. church, that was what they were. They were people, people that shared, they met in, their homes. They may not always mm-hmm. lived in the same home, but they, they shared life mm-hmm. together. And it well, seemed... the first century, nobody lived alone. Exactly. No one <laughs> lived alone. They lived in households. And yes. You read in the, in the New Testament of whole households being baptized. Together. Yes, exactly. And the idea that we're all so intimately tied to one another um, as a body you know, a body has to be in physical proximity on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you know, it literally falls apart in a case. Yeah. But I think we've gotten into uh, John, one of John Alexander's books is called Being Church. And the idea that you don't go to church, you don't do church, you have to be the church. Be the church. And I think more and more people are sort of coming back to that realization of what church can be and what being church can mean for them. And I think uh, that's one thing that Sojourners has really had an emphasis on for quite a while. Yeah, and and I love I, I think it all. One thing I'm noticing, kind of processing through all of this unintentional communities, is a lot of it comes back to break, like you said, breaking that under that that individual mentality mm-hmm. that it's all about me and my relationship with God and like that one on one relationship where as the Bible doesn't take that, that view, <laughs> the Bible takes a no. view of it's the church and God and the church right. being a one person mm-hmm. and all of us being part of that one person. Yep. So uh, I love it. And it's, it's something that it's so hard to get out of that mentality as an American to break. Yes. It. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. So changing gears a little bit, another thing I mm-hmm. wanted to ask you about was especially being a side B person. Now in your community, there are side A believers. So people who mm-hmm. are affirming mm-hmm. LGBT as well as you. And I don't know, are there other side B people in your community as well? Are you? Yes. Okay. We so have... side A and side B. So what is that like mm-hmm. for you? Yeah. Um, well, it's... One thing I should say is that although there are side A gay Christians in the community, Mm -hmm. uh, the community as a whole is not affirming of same-sex marriage. Okay. So even the side A people are committed to celibacy while they're in the community. Okay. 
Okay. So that's that's a little bit different than if, say, we had couples, gay couples yeah. in our church yeah. as well as. Mm-hmm. No, but as a church as a whole, up to this point, we have been um, of the more traditional view that marriage is between mm-hmm. a man and a woman. Yeah. Well, now, sense. we're in a slow conversation as to whether to reevaluate that, partly mm-hmm. because we're in San Francisco. and to reach out to the community around us. um, It's getting more and more difficult to be a credible witness for Christ and be Mm non-affirming. Yeah. So, but at this point we have several gay and bisexual side A people in the community, but all of whom are celibate and they don't even date. Mm-hmm. Um, because the commitment of the community at this point was that single people, whether straight or gay or bi, do not have sex outside of marriage. Yeah. So even our straight folks are celibate. Yeah. Unless they're married. Mm-hmm. So there's that. So that's the first element there. The second element is that uh, the fact that folks are side A and side B is so secondary to all the other issues where we that we do have in common mm-hmm. that it's been it hasn't been particularly problematic yet none of our gay folks have fallen in love and wanted to get married yet yeah if that comes up that might be an issue yeah um uh, our longest running celibate gay guy is tim otto who wrote this book and uh-huh. the, and he's actually he actually had uh, what we what they called a celebration, sort of a commitment ceremony to the church. Okay. I love that term. I'm sorry. (laughs) For so many reasons. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) In fact, so uh, there's a movement of communities called the new monastic movement and Shane Claiborne's um, simple Mm -hmm. way is in it and Ripa house in North Carolina. We have a common prayer book called common prayer, a liturgy for radicals. Mm -hmm. And in the back of that book, is actually a celibacy commitment ceremony and it's based on tim's um so he had a whole ceremony about committing to celibacy for life he wears a ring he had a whole you know promise he celebrates his anniversary Mm -hmm. um so he made the whole commitment to celibacy very formal yeah other people who are celibate are not nearly that formal about it they're just like yeah well i don't date exactly Um, and that's true of both the gays and straights and bi folks in our community. It's like some are very formal about it. Some are much less formal about it. So that's one way it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think. Well, and and sorry, if I can. Go ahead. I want to continue the question, but also Mm -hmm. kind of expand it a little bit because Mm -hmm. a little bit of what I want to get at with this question is one of the things I've always admired with your living situation and not just your living situation, but your life in the ministry that I know that you do is that you, you feel comfortable to work in very side a circles. Mm -hmm. And while the thing is, is that there's a lot of side B people that whether because of their background coming from more conservative uh, angles Mm -hmm. or whatever the reason might be, Mm -hmm. they seem to feel like that's impossible. Like how could a side B person be inside a circles? And so I would love to kind of you to speak into a little bit of, first of all, I guess, what do you feel has called you to be in maybe more side A circles than the normal side B person? And also, mm-hmm. like, what, how is that for you? Yeah, I think there are a number of factors. One is that I was married for 25 years and I'm in my 50s. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just kind of <laughs> over it. <laughs> So for me, uh, not that, you know, desire is never an issue, but for a lot of side B folks, being around side A folks is really hard either because they get jealous because they Mm -hmm. want what the side A folks have or they get tempted. Mm -hmm. They see that that, you know, wow, those people are kind of available and, you know, what would that be like? Yeah. Those aren't issues for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for a lot of younger side B people in particular, they should probably be wise about how much they mingle with side A gay Christians because mm-hmm. 
it's so close. It's like yeah. it makes it makes you wonder about your own commitments. Yeah. And I think that is a genuine issue for a lot of side B people. So, mm-hmm. um, so in some ways it's safer for me to go into side A spaces than it is for most side B people, especially younger side B people or people who have never had a relationship or people who have never, you know, who've, who feel the, the lack of that so acutely. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's part of it. Another part of it is my take on sin because if I felt that the being in a same-sex relationship was threatening someone's salvation or was dooming them to hell, which some side B folks do believe, mm-hmm. then I would not be able to do what I do because all I would want to do would be tell them that they needed to save themselves. They needed to get out of this so they were, they were okay but I don't see it that way. I believe that same-sex relationships are an issue on which Christians in good standing can have genuinely different opinions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if their conscience and their reading of scripture says to them that this is something that God can bless, then that's between them and God. I don't think that I'm in any position to make that call for them or for God. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, I see people inside a relationships kind of like I would see, say a married Jewish couple or a married Muslim couple or Mm -hmm. a married Buddhist or Quaker atheist couple. They don't hold to the same ethics that I do and they will be judged by God according to their ethics, not according to mine. Yeah. Yeah. But if I felt that, oh no, I know that they're going to hell because of this, or I believe that they're in sin so deep that I shouldn't even fellowship with them, mm-hmm. which is also, you know, an opinion that a lot of more conservative side B folks have, then I couldn't do what I do. I couldn't be at QCF. I couldn't be hanging out at E3 with people who are, you know, more affirming. So I think partly because of my own theological stance on it and the sort of limited view of the nature of the sin involved, if any, I think I'm more able to be in in side A spaces than a lot of side B people. And I think that makes, I I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, that's even something I've been kind of going through in my own views lately. And, you know, I'm, I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily have something very concrete on what I believe on it, but I think the main thing for me has been, I heard one person say, and I thought it was so good, is like, why am I going to judge a person just based off one aspect of their life and allow mm-hmm. that to be the one determining thing that changes how I interact with them? Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, a Muslim couple or a Jewish couple, like uh, I have friends that do ministry in the Middle East, you know, with Muslims mm-hmm. who have multiple wives. And, they, mm-hmm. and I'm, do I believe they're going to hell because they have multiple wives? No. No, right. it's a matter of our faith in Christ. Like we have to make that distinction of what saves someone. Is it being in a straight relationship and being celibate? No, it's it's real. It's faith in Jesus, and it mm-hmm. is and it is our belief in Him as our Savior and 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 fo- deciding to make to follow Him as the King of our lives and of our world, and that's what saves people. Sorry. I'm like, (laughs) but um, I get it. Yes. So anyway, with all of that, (laughs) I love it. I love what you share. So uh, yeah. And I think that said, uh I do believe they're wrong. They're incorrect. Uh Um, Their hermeneutic is faulty, but that's true on, of most people I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I could disagree with somebody on something, you know, on mm-hmm. anything. For example, uh, I'm a pacifist and uh, Sojourners is sort of loosely Mennonite-ish. Um, but I don't think people are going to hell for not being pacifists. I don't mm-hmm. think, you know, people in the military should be shunned. I don't think, you know, people who are wrong on this, I think, very important issue. We yeah. don't treat that issue the way we treat sexuality. And mm-hmm. I think we've, you know put this big red line around a sexual sin that doesn't exist around any other kind of sin, uh, economic sin. I mean, 
hello, the real sin of Sodom was treating the poor and the stranger badly. Yeah. So. Exactly. Let's be consistent in how we think about our own ethics and how we apply them to other people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, kind of going back to the intentional community Mm -hmm. thing, if there is someone listening to this podcast and really interested in this idea and I want to be part of this, what recommendations would you give for someone who might be interested in an in intentional community? Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there are two ways to go. One is to join an existing intentional community and the other is to start your own. Mm-hmm. So in those, if you're looking to join an intentional community, come visit one. Yeah. Uh, we have hospitality weekends where if you can get yourself to San Francisco, you got free room and board for the weekend. And you hang out with us. Yeah, this is a serious, real, open, standing invitation. Yeah. Um, get in touch with our community, and we'll put you up in one of our guest rooms, and you'll see how we live for the weekend. And then the next step after that would be to apply to our apprenticeship program. Mm-hmm. So that's in our specific community. But most communities that I know of encourage visits, and we'll welcome people to come and hang out with them and see what life is like. I think that's probably the first step if you're looking to join a community. And there's an organization called Nurturing Communities. Uh, it's nurturingcommunities.org okay. that has a list of Christian intentional communities that you can explore and visit. The Nurturing Communities Network has annual gatherings for people from a lot of different communities and has sort of mentors to have that has people that go out to other communities and say, we can help you get started. We can advise you on how to do this. You know, if you're having a conflict in your new little community, we can help you work through it. So nurturingcommunities.org is a a good resource. There's also a book by a a guy who runs this organization named David Jansen. And Mm -hmm. it's called, let me check the exact title in case you want to Google it. It's something like the handbook. We just call it the handbook. What do we call it? The Intentional Christian Community Handbook, Mm -hmm. which is a great resource for folks who want to start their own. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think the best thing is if you're interested in community, visit some communities, visit several different communities of different types and get to know, you know, what the options are. If you're looking to start a community of your own, um, get together a bunch of friends that are willing to commit for a couple of years at a time at least and uh, think through things like how you want to handle prayer, how you want to handle money, how you want to handle community outreach, things like that. Mm-hmm. I love that. I would love just to see like a huge wave. I mean, I know that there's already a lot of intentional mm-hmm. communities starting to pop up, but just like a wave of mm-hmm. intentional communities around just the country to kind of rechange this idea of what it means to be in community within Christianity. So thank you so much. Each generation, there's another wave. So, I mean, when we started, when Sojourners started back in the eighties, there was a wave of intentional communities that were still around. There was a wave of intentional communities in the sixties, some of which are still around. There was a wave of intentional communities around the turn of the century when simple way got started and some of the other new monastics, you know, yeah. sort of Shane Claiborne's generation. And now I think there's another wave kind of coming around again. So mm-hmm. the thing is though, community is tough to maintain over the long haul. Yes. And so out of, you know, 20 yeah. communities that I know of that started around 2000, three are still existing. Yeah. So, and that's just a reality partly because, you know, life just gets hard and partly because Americans are so used to moving on when things get mm-hmm. tough. Um, and, and I yeah. think that that's like with all community, you know, and I think that's the why the word intentional is so key. Mm-hmm. It takes intention. We're going to keep doing this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in my own personal family, uh, recently we had my grandmother die, who mm-hmm. is the patriarch, you know, a matriarch, sorry, mm-hmm. <laughs> matriarch of our family. And it has really, she was the last of, you know, the grandparents in our mm-hmm. family. And, you know, when that happens in a family, and our family is so close, all of my cousins, all my aunts, we all live in the same town. Mm-hmm. We all get together all the time. And in those kind of moments is, is those moments when you as a family or as a community have to decide, are we going to keep working to keep this together? 
And yes, it'll mm-hmm. change. Yes, things are not going to be exactly as they were because people get older, new kids, you know, come in, all of these different kinds of things. But it takes the intentional tension side of it. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I get what you mean. So that is great. I want to really, I really want to thank you for everything you've shared here today. Before we go, though, is there any other last words you'd like to share on intentional community with everyone? Hmm. That really hasn't been shared yet. I think the most important thing for people looking for community is that you're never going to find the perfect community. Mm. You're never going to find one that, that meets all of your specifications. So the most important thing is not shopping well, but listening to God well and yes. finding out where God is really calling you. And it may mm. be very unexpected. Some of the members yeah. in this community came from very unexpected places. Uh, and some of the members of this community are people I would never expect to be doing life with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a really where, good... This is where I'm called. And so that's, it works. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's a huge point. So, well, thank you again for all of this, all of taking your time to be here. It's a pleasure. Your thoughts for all of you guys. If you're interested in learning more about intentional community, uh, obviously there is the opportunity as Melinda shared with what are the weekends called again? Hospitality weekends, hospitality weekends. If you're interested in joining an intentional community that's already existing, take advantage of those kind of opportunities, looking for those kind of opportunities. If you want to learn more, obviously, I shared in the last episode, Meg, uh, Meg Botts from our last episode is going to be doing worship and revoice on, on communal living. And so I would continue to in, encourage that. And reaching out just to Meg or Mo- uh, Melinda, if you get a chance, and I'm sure that they would be happy mm-hmm. to share their thoughts continuing. So thank you, Melinda. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. And thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Hey everyone. Thanks so much again for joining us today, talking to Melinda. And I really hope that you got a lot out of it. The last two episodes talking about communal living have been an amazing time for me, for sure. And I have learned a lot about our need for community and the place that our spiritual family plays in our lives, no matter what our context is like. So I hope that you've gotten a lot out of it too. I would love to hear your thoughts. You can reach out through any of our social media platforms as well as emailing lifeonsidebpodcast at gmail.com. Again, would love to hear from you. Also, be on the lookout for our next episode, which will be airing on Wednesday, May 29th. And I cannot wait for you all to hear it. Thanks again for listening to Life on Side B. Now remember to be the face of Jesus for someone this week. Talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.